You're listening to This Is Ibrox, your Rangers podcast, brought to you by Triple H Mortgages, the one-stop shop for all your mortgage and mortgage insurance needs. Contact them on 01453887179 or via email hello at hhhmortgages.com. This is Ibrox. Tonight, leave the city, we'll be fine Blowing up like dynamite, I never meant to make you cry Make your mind up Hello and welcome to your new weekly edition of This Is Ibrox, your Rangers podcast, the podcast of the champions My name's Scott Patterson, I'm your host for, for this week as per usual And we're joined by fellow podders, Tommy McIntyre joins us this week Hi Tommy, how are you doing? Evening Scott, evening Jets Robbie Halliday joins us as well. Hi, Robbie, you're back again. We've, we've invited you back on for a second week. You were good last week. Good debut, mate. Pleasure to be back. We should say as well, as a special guest for, for our pod this week, we're joined by the freelance journalist working for Sky News, Sky Sports News, Sky News, and, and indeed also contributing to the, to the Matchday programme. Andrew Dixon joins us this week. Hi, Andrew. Good evening. No pressure. I need to be good this week if Robbie was good last week. Listen, you're absolutely right. It's a good pod. We've got a good group of guys here. Definite sevens. I'm um, not entirely convinced of that. I thought Robbie coming back is more of a, a kind of a sign. Not at all. Don't you believe it? Don't you well, believe I it? I was going to say it was, it was good that Scotty bring his wee bra on the right. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why Robbie's back here. Yeah, you went down to a six already. This Cyberox <laughs> Rangers podcast is brought to you by Triple H Mortgages, the one-stop shop for your mortgage and mortgage insurance needs. Contact them as early as you can on 01453887179 or via their email hello at hhhmortgages.com. Available on the World Wide Web at treblehmortgages.com and the same address on Facebook, treblehmortgages.com. If you are to speak to them and you're looking for some advice, by all means mention my name, Scott Patterson, Robbie, Tommy or Willie, who is occasionally on the pod as well. In general, just mention this is Ibrox and the guys there will look after you very well indeed. This week on the pod, we cover all the good things you'd expect. The, the last sort of five games of the seasons have been announced earlier today. We speak about the Celtic game from the weekend. We speak about... Some of the things that we don't like to speak about, to be perfectly honest, we in the pods, we'll cover it tonight. And Tommy, first of all, we'll go back to the game last Thursday, the second leg, Slavia Prague at Ibrox. The contest itself, I think it's safe to say the better team won the tie in the night. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I thought Slavia were pretty front foot over both both legs. Thoroughly deserving of it. thought really changed it up. Really struggled at the back, struggled in the middle, you know. By and large, struggled up front as well. Maybe a forty-five second, forty-five minutes out and uh, out in the Czech Republic were pretty decent. Beyond that, there was nothing really holding Slavia back. I think the best team went through on on the tie, but unfortunately, that's not the story about the Slavia game. Um, and we'll touch on the other things in, in a little while. But concentrating on football because primarily a football podcast, you know, without going into too much of the depth and detail, Rangers never got to grips with Slavia Prague and people maybe from the outside looked at that tie and thought ultimately winnable by and large I think they were two very close teams and Slavia just set up better dominated the possession better got the press better across both legs as well ultimately unsettled Rangers Rangers were never able to really get in a rhythm apart from that second 45 that I've already alluded to and so Slavia were able to dictate it by and large getting an early goal relatively early goal Ibrox really set the tempo and yeah we had some half chances, 
Um, but we never really seemed like we were going to, to me anyway, that we were getting ourselves into the driving seat. We never won the battle. And, you know, Slavia showed that as you progress further in these tournaments and you get deeper, the capacity for mistake making and getting out of, out of danger lessens considerably. They took their chances, we didn't. And again, not to duplicate it, the best team won on the night and the best team won overall. Robbie, I felt we looked a little bit stuffy, I think is, is maybe the term, particularly for the first 45. I didn't think we looked to we looked to be a bit leggy, if you like. Conceded a goal um, from, again, a cross coming over from that right-hand side. And, and it's a clever header, I think, really, at the, near, at the near post. You could argue Al McGregor may have done better. Yeah, I think, as you say, we started a wee bit poor, which has been, a, I think we spoke about it a wee bit last week. It's been, been a common theme in quite a few European ties, but the only difference this time is we didn't really recover as well as we normally do. I think another sort of common theme, don't want to start in a negative tone talk about the team because it was still a brilliant uh, campaign overall, but there does seem a wee bit of a theme that that cross ball down the right here has just kind of been a silly deal a wee bit. I think back to, you know, there was the Hamilton game away, Celtic in the weekend there came from a ball down and said a cross ball. I think Motherwell at Ibrooks did a low cross into the box as well. Yeah. Uh, Antwerp as well. And actually I think in both legs against Standard Lee, eh, sorry, the home leg against Standard Lee was the same. So it was a wee bit disappointing that we kind of get the early warning signs in the first leg of where they were going to try and exploit us. Uh, as I said, we spoke about it a wee bit last week. They were trying to early switch the time overload in that side and, and get crossed into the box. So to lose a first goal, that was a wee bit disappointing, but I think a couple of people spoke about Golson uh, for that goal. I don't actually think that he could have done much about it. I think they had a sort of third man runner behind him, uh, which kind of forced him to get a yard back, and then the guy got a kind of free head up from post. Uh, and I, I agree with you, I thought McGregor probably could have done a wee bit better, but to say the difference with, between that and other European sides is we recovered a lot better than they've in those other games, whereas if, if you think of Gerard's last three campaigns in Europe, there's probably not been two games that over with created as little chances as we have done over these two ties. So yeah. I think again I don't I don't want to speak negatively about it because it's probably the only the only ties that we've if you even want to call it let ourselves down that, that we have done because up to now we, we have admittedly points of our weight and uh, I think one thing you've always been in our favour is even when we've not played well we've looked like we'll create a role we'll, we're not because we set pieces but I think if I'm being totally honest, as Tommy said, the, be- the best team won over the, uh, over the two ties, so I don't think we have much complaints that way. And overall, we start very positive campaign. Andrew, again, welcome to the podcast. I think one thing that surprised me when the team lineups were announced last Thursday night was perhaps the inclusion of Leon Balogun ahead of Philip Hallander. Yeah, I mean, it surprised me as well. I uh, I was actually working on another match uh, just before, like literally until about ten minutes before the, the game kicked off, and I, I wasn't aware that that uh, the manager had said in the in his pre-match chat that actually um, Helander had a bit of a knock. So that obviously went some way to explaining it. But uh, I think we've seen with Balogun, you know, decent enough player picked up in a free last summer. Um, but there's probably a reason that he's come to or come to Rangers from uh, from Wigan Athletic. Uh, he has shown up well in some matches. Uh, I think it was a Dundee United game recently where he played right back and and had mm-hmm. a fairly Done solid well. game. Yeah, yeah. very well and, and got quite a lot of praise for it and rightly so. But then you look at him and you know you're playing against Slavia Prague, who a lot of Rangers 
fans expected to get past Slavia. And I think that's probably a mark of the progress that's been made this season, that you're playing against a team who reached the quarters two seasons ago as well and clearly are, are pretty well versed in, in how to, to make an impact at that level. But Rangers fans, I think, rightly, were, uh, were probably quite confident going into that one but you know if you're coming up against a team like Slavia uh, and against Celtic at the weekend as well I mean we saw Balogun come off what 10-15 minutes into the second half for, for Nathan Patterson uh, so yeah I mean it was a surprise I think it really highlighted that that's one area of the squad that, that the manager probably has to look at a little bit more in the in the summer uh, obviously we'll, we'll wait and see what happens with regards to whether people might move on or whatever. Um, I, I think at the moment, as the squad stands just now, um, cover in, in that kind of area, um, granted you're going to have Tavernier back and, and Patterson is, is already developing into uh, a very capable deputy. It's going to be quite rare that Balogun is, is going to be asked to play right back. So I think you have to keep that in mind as well. And Balogun, to be fair at times, in the central area has done well too. Uh, but... You know, it's an area at the moment. You you just don't know exactly what's going to happen happen with Katic because he's been out for so long, and Edmondson obviously what happened with him and being put out uh, to to Derby on loan, and he's playing in a Derby team that at the moment is is nose diving down that that table again in the Championship. Yeah. So you know there are defensive options there, and Balogun is one of them. But I think it's an area that, that the manager is probably going to have to work on a little bit in the summer. Uh, and I think we saw that the the, the Balogun was just a little bit. Um, not quite what he needed to be in that game. And it was very clear that Slavia straight away targeted him and Celtic tried to do the same thing, of course, uh, yesterday as well. So, you know, if you've got a weak uh, link, you're obviously going to try to target them. And uh, and, and that's very much what happened. So uh, I, I'd echo what the guy said, you know, the better team won. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I know we're going to come on to talk about the, the racism uh, or alleged racism incident in a minute. Uh, and, you know, one idea has been that maybe Slavia should be thrown out of the competition for this if, if it can be proven, which in all honesty, I think is going to be quite difficult to prove. But if you ever got to that point where you could prove it and they should be eliminated, fine. But I don't think Rangers should be reinstated because Absolutely. Rangers were, were second best on both legs. Uh, I mean, even in the first leg where they drew one each, they were quite fortunate to get that uh, combination of uh, of chances that were missed and then the, the incredible save from Alan McGregor in, in stoppage time also. Uh, I don't think there's any question that Rangers should be reinstated back into the competition uh, if anything were to happen with that. But I mean, Slavia were a good team. Uh, and, and you know, they'll pose problems for Arsenal in the, in the quarterfinals because... Yeah. I, I, in all honesty, I, I, if I wanted Rangers to go into the quarterfinals and have the prospect of coming up against an English team, um, keeping in mind that, that Tottenham were still in the last 16 as well, if you took them as potential quarterfinal opponents, I would have said Tottenham, Man United and Arsenal. Arsenal are the ones that I would have wanted to play. Um, so I think Slavia will really fancy their chances. Uh, they've already gone to England and knocked out Leicester. They've yeah. come up to, to, to Glasgow and knocked Rangers out. So they'll go there fully expecting they can do it again and I think rightly so that they're probably a decent outside bet for the tournament because I think once you look at the the couple of English teams that are still involved and Arsenal obviously being one of them um beyond that it doesn't really it wouldn't worry me too much and I think Slavia genuinely could could go a fair bit further in the competition uh, Rangers were knocked out by a good team you know it's only six defeat as well that Steven Gerrard's had as a manager in, in Europe with the club in what, 45 games uh, that's an incredible record I don't think there's any shame in going out to, to Slavia but undoubtedly Rangers deserve to go out just uh, if you don't mind me jump in uh, yeah point on that obviously you're saying it's only a six defeat in Europe so 
one thing that I don't think Venice can do is criticise any decisions that Steve Gerrard made in Europe. However, just going back to the point on Hollander being dropped, it, 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 was, it, it surprised me massively, to be honest. I actually spoke to a self spot before the game, and I know yeah. uh, I was talking about the basically mates in the group chat, and they said that apparently, as you just said there, Andrew, that uh, Gerrard had mentioned that Hollander picked up a knock, but I don't know about you guys, but see when that gets said, but he's on the bench, that, that just kind of raises questions for me because. Who's to say that if we get an injury after five minutes that he wouldn't have to have played 85? And then I thought right, maybe he's just on the bench regardless and if there's an injury, then Jack Simpson would have came on. However, when I then seen Hollander start three days later, I just thought it was, it was a bit strange. So if I was to call it based, basically on the fact that one guy was on the bench and Bargain started, I, I was surprised because I know people make the argument about Bargain's pace. But for me, Hollander's arguably arguably been our best European performer this season and as much as he kind of does have this lack of pace I've very rarely seen him get beaten for pace yeah. be- because he, he seems to read the, read the game very well so on paper I thought this decision could have made sense but on the evidence of what we've seen throughout the last season or two I, I found that strange wanting to see he wasn't starting well, just, just on that because I think I made a very similar point last week about the fact that Hillander's positioning and his football intelligence is significantly better than Leon Balogun's. And it's probably really important that we don't point to the reason Rangers got beaten at home by Slavia Prague was Leon Balogun. He had a pretty poor game, but it wasn't his own fault. No, no, no. By and large, across the pitch, the Slavia players individually and collectively dominated and put their game plan on top of Rangers' uh, game plan and were able to dictate the play. But Leon Balogun uses that pace as a get-out. And sometimes that can mask a whole lot of problems when it comes to your positioning in the game and your reading of the game. And that can sometimes get uh, swept up if you're operating in a, a central two or a central three, when you're actually operating out on the fringes, much as Leon Balligan was in the front game as well, in the fullback position. The propensity to get exposed is a lot clearer. And then you have the domino effect, so much like the Slavia game and the Celtic game by extension. Glasgow Derby, Italics, Old Fun. <laughs> um, you know, it starts to concertina uh, or domino effect down because, for example, in the Old Fun game, what you do is you get your central defender having to push across. And Goldson was doing that, trying to second guess Balogun getting caught out. And yeah. therefore, you open up gaps in the middle, which makes your next centre back start to question himself. So, yeah, whilst it wasn't Balogun's you know, fault, and it's like, and I agree with Andrew, Gold Rangers fans should be looking at any of the other uh, racism storm around about that game and thinking, oh, Rangers, you know, backdoor entry if they get kicked out. It's not about that. It's much bigger. And quite frankly, Rangers don't deserve to be in the next round because we're beaten by the better team. But yeah, when you're looking at uh, Balogun, you have to you know, fully understand that what we're seeing there is quite naturally a guy who, once upon a time, every now and again, has played fullback position, but he is not a fullback. It was quite clearly exposed. And it is something we do need to look uh, in the in the preseason because there's lots of decisions made there. Even Tavernier picking up the championship, I think he's in his last year of his contract. He's getting more. Yeah. There's a succession plan there with Nathan Patterson, but also do you cash in? Every club is a selling club. I'm sick and tired of saying that, and um, you know it holds true for Rangers as well. But yeah, Balogun had a, a poor game, and he doesn't he unsettled for that decision as forced on as it as it was unsettled the entire defence. If you unsettle your bedrock you start to unsettle the midfielders who don't know whether to drop back or not, and all of a sudden your game plan starts to shift about. I think that absolutely contributed to the fact that Slavia were able to dominate and we were continually on the back foot. Yeah, because I don't want to turn this into a bargain bash, but one thing I think 
been, was quite prominent as well is it showed the importance of having a left centre half playing on the left because I, I thought we struggled to play out for that side as well. And the sort of biggest example if you like to watch the game back is I can't, actually it was the one where he, he nearly gave the penalty away, which for me was a penalty. Uh, I think it was just the end of the first half. But he's on his left side, and I think by this point, Slavia have now recognised that he's a right footer playing on the left. So they've kind of ushered him down that side, and I think their wing back or winger, whatever it was at the time, was very close to Barisic. So the natural thing for a left side decent centre half would be to kind of whip the ball into cycle speed, but because he seemed pretty unsure of doing that, he's had to turn back to play it back to the goal, and he showed the full ground what he's going to do, and then the guy read it and he's threw on goal, and for me, it was a penalty. Whereas if you've got a left footer doing that or somebody even a bit more comfortable on the left side, then that you know that's that's not happening. So I think it showed the importance as well. Obviously for years you've seen two right two right sided players playing at the back, but I think as well it showed the importance if you want to play out for the battle we do, having a left and right footer makes makes a big difference. Yeah, as a smaller side, actually, just away from Leon Balogun, right? Let's give the guy up. Give the guy up. I know, I feel bad. He's actually a great signing. Through everything that happened uh, towards the end of the game, and no point alluding to it, the the racism storm at the end of the game, and then carried on in terms of statements, counter statements, and all that type of thing. It's very unfortunate because, given the lack of, and I understand individual player circumstances, but given the lack of. forward-facing support for Glenn Kamara, etc., or the collegiate cabinet responsibility position that the Slavia team have taken. It's a shame because it taints all those players, and there are several members of that Slavia team that I would have absolutely taken in Rangers jerseys. Yeah. Guys like Novod and stuff say. like that as well um, were absolutely fantastic, and you know, being in the, the Czech League, reasonable kind of values and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I think that, that ship might very well have sailed. Tommy, earlier on in the campaign, um, Kima Roof gave us that moment in, in Belgium. Uh, a real gasp moment, you have to say. But he'd done it again on Thursday there for all, all the wrong reasons. His career has almost instantly became really start-stop over the last little while, hasn't it? The injuries haven't, haven't helped uh, with that. And we knew he came with a bit of a injury baggage. He has to be handled appropriately. That's, that's fine. Um, you don't want to put him into the, he's not in the bucket at the moment or the waste bin. No, no. What we knew we were getting, there's obviously talent in there, real, real genuine talent. You don't, I think we spoke at the time of that, that breathtaking goal. It's not just the fact that you do it and you have the technique to do it. It's having the, the confidence in your own ability to, to take it on in the first place. There's several component parts to that that make a, a top athlete, I suppose. But yeah, his, his challenge on the night is really, really poor and spoke to that rustiness. I think he's mentally very rusty there. Yeah. Because he gets the decision making all wrong, the bounce is mistimed for the ball, his going towards it, the leap is really, he's not anywhere near the ball, you know, and I don't think in any way, shape or form, and nobody is saying that it's malicious, right, apart from maybe the fringes of the internet or something like that, but I don't think it's malicious, he's not, you know, I don't know, <laughs> finally getting round to outfield players taking taking revenge on the ghost of Schumacher, right, <laughs> <laughs> That's one for the older, the older fans uh, there of different, uh, different football genres. But, you know, he, he just completely mistimes it. And I think that speaks to a player who is really, really not up to speed. You know, you can do all the fitness training that you want. But we talk about mass sharpness. Mass sharpness is also reading the ball, reading the flight of it, understanding when to enact your, your position, your, um, your biomechanics, uh, mm-hmm. and, in order to get to the ball. And, yeah, it has... 
has really been a, a stop-start scenario for Kmart Roof. There is talent in there. How often we get to see that talent is probably the question. And once you start to get into that question, by extension, because succession planning and recruitment and acumen is always in that conversation, you start to say, how much can I rely on this guy? Yeah. And if I wanted to rely on him, I'm not seeing it. I look to Defoe, who's, I don't know, might not very well be here come, come the end of the season. Then you look at Morelos, who might not be here come the end of the season, things permitting. Cedric Itton is a project. And it might as well use that cliched football term right off the bat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people throw the word project out when they don't quite mean project, right? But okay, I'll do it as well. He's a project. Okay, you're maybe looking at the fact you need to bring somebody else in if you can't rely on Kmart Roof. And that's a slightly different conversation. I think he still has the backing and the goodwill of the support. But you can't live on one breathtaking moment in Belgium. And I know he's scored other goals and he's a very talented player. I've spoke about that intelligence. I'm not going to duplicate, but unless you can consistently be on the pitch, then you don't have a place at Ibrox and we really need to see the best of Kmart Roof and hopefully he gets a good rest in pre-season. No need to rush him back. The title's won. We're out of Europe. We'll get a Scottish Cup. Let's slowly bed him back in. And we hope to see the fruits of Kmart Roof come you know, season 21-22 when we are looking to players of that talent to play in the Champions League. Hopefully. I think uh, with Roof, he's, he's probably quite symbolic of the kind of player that, that, that Rangers look to get because you know you're either trying to unearth somebody like a Morelos who is playing in Finland and is 19 20 years old when he comes to Rangers and and you get a little bit lucky with it or you go to the other end and you know Kamar Roof clearly has the ability to be able to play in the English Premier League there's no doubt about that he was a big success when he was at Leeds most recently uh, before going over to Anderlecht very, very good player. But like you say, there's just that, there's that little element with him where he's, he's injury prone and he's a bit rusty at times. And we saw it in the, the first part of the season where when he did get a run of matches, I think he scored 10 in 10 games at one point, which was, was a great run. And I think the, the standard game fell within that, that sequence. But that's almost as much as Rangers have made excellent progress again this season, uh, year on year under Steven Gerrard, the, the, the progress and the development of the squad has been clear. And that, that's certainly the case again this season. But Rangers' place within the market is still not where Rangers fans would like their place to be within the market. So you, you still have to accept that you're either going to get a little bit lucky with bringing in a younger player. You're not going to bring in somebody 25, 26, 27 who's going to be the finished article. Uh, there's going to be something maybe a little bit lacking that stops them from playing at the higher level, but is good enough to play in the Scottish Premiership and to do a job for the, the, the club in Europe. And, and Kimar Roof probably falls into that category. Uh, he's a terrific player. The, the challenge, honestly, was, I think, the worst challenge I've ever seen uh, yeah. on a football p- pitch. It was awful. Um, I, I, I was... Um, not totally surprised, but even still a little bit astounded by the fact that on social media, talking to, to one or two people, there were still people there saying it's not a red card. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a red card. Let's just stop the call. I wish I could be that biased, but I just well, Honestly, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I, I get that people want to support their team. People can't see past their team. That's fine. But you, I mean, that was a red card. There were, uh, I was looking at one of the, the picture agencies. Uh, Getty Images. I was looking at, at their pictures, and they actually had a lot of different photographs of the incident from, um, I don't, probably at least half a dozen different angles. And there's not a single one of them that looked like, oh, do you know what? He's been a bit unlucky there. He's <laughs> gone in studs first and absolutely planted them into the guy's face, and you yeah. saw the 
face afterwards. I mean, what a mess it was. Okay. I mean, that's the kind of thing where, you know, you hope it, it heals up quite well, but, but he's probably going to have some scarring on his face. I mean, it's literally, that, yeah. it's, it's awful. He's also very lucky that he's not got a, to your point there, Andrew, he's very, very lucky, the goalkeeper. And I'm with you, right? So it's a red card all day long. If you're listening to this or watching this and you've got the blue tinted specs on, take them off, right? We, yeah. Our players can make mistakes as well. And it's a horror challenge, right? Just not intent. Was the important point, but to the goalkeeper who we, th- we all hope recovers, he's very lucky he didn't get a stud in the eye. In the eye, because if that carries through, that that guy's got permanent side damage. You know, you're going to rip. You know, you're going to damage a lot of the the front level optics and the the, the residual uh, residual optics as well. But yeah, to, to that to that point, I think anybody trying to defend that challenge was. I think the only good uh, angle of it was when he was past the goalkeeper and away. And <laughs> the, the state of the goalkeeper, but, yeah, we, we wish them all the very best. Nobody wants to see that type of that type of challenge or anybody injured to that extent. Um, yeah, really, really unfortunate. But it does speak to a wider narrative there. Just to Andrew's point, not to to wax too lyrical, but to to get a bookend on it. In terms of that, Rangers have never in the current climate, and by current, I mean as far as I can see down the road, Rangers are never going to get top top tier talent. Right, Scotland is not going to generate top tier talent unless you get a diamond in the rough, and even then it's not the, the full article you're developing, right? We're going to buy top-tier talent because they go to other richer leagues, right? What we're going to get is iteratively better players, and so to that point that Andrew's making, we've, we went through three stages of the iteration of the, the Steven Gerrard era. It's culminating in a really good title win, a really important title win. If you can then generate into the group stages next season and win the title because the season after that is their guaranteed automatic entry to the group stages because of the coefficient, which Rangers are driven, obviously. Um, then you can start to see an absolute iterative uptick in the level of quality that you can buy, which is already pre-polished. Rangers just need to alloy that with still doing the basics of developing their own and taking some of those punts that Andrew's talking about, your Morelos type player, to say we can bring them in and we can de- develop them up. But getting over this first title and actually winning a couple of more immediately to be able to access that Champions League part is the big thing because it's a big financial difference between the the, the good positive noises of saying last 16 new year versus the balance sheet being able to see that you've got yourself into the CL. Yeah. And that's really, really important for the business model full stop. So if we want to continue and be progressively more successful, uh, successful, you need that CL money in the bank. So that's the important point to that. Robbie, halfway through the second half, Balogun gets his second yellow and and his red. So he goes off with nine men. And I, I have to say that the best player over the two legs, the boy Stancho, um, Curl's an absolutely wonderful free kick beyond Alan McGregor. He is definitely someone I think to keep your eye on as as the years trundle by because he won't be playing his football in Czechoslovakia for long, I don't think. I, I don't know if any looked out, but I think did they not score at the weekend as well? I think he did. I think he did score at the weekend, yeah. I think I think they won like four 0 and he scored at the weekend. Uh, but I it's obviously there was a few of them I thought that uh, were really good and he was certainly one of them because well he he was obviously the boy who scored in the first play. And he also had the chance where he's kind of sat to curl it around goals and again pick some of, some of yep. that with him as well, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right, there was a few. There was a few that were really good. Uh, but the free kick was, was for a wee late. 
I know that uh, I think I seen him talking in an interview saying that uh, the guy, his teammate who was lining up next to him, says, "Oh, I had to the goalkeeper's side." But he said, "Oh, after looking at the goalkeeper's position, I thought it was on for me to, to curl it to the near post." And I seen a few people question McGregor's positioning, and you probably could have. But it seemed like not only like far over to his left hand post, but also two or three yards off his line. Yeah. Uh, so you probably could. I point your finger at it and says that maybe anticipate he's going to cross it because I've been a bit closer. But see, in all honesty, see if he was positioned better if you want to call that, I still don't think he's saving it because it's dipped that much, it's whipped into the corner with a lot of pace. So I don't even think, if he'd moved a yard to the other side, I'm still not too sure if I said it because I probably had that over the top of him. But nah, it was a great goal. And again, I'm talking about things I go we've conceded. I maybe contradict myself a wee bit because I'm seeing cross balls. But in Europe, we, a lot of the goals we've faced have been top quality goals, which I suppose you're going to take. I don't think, I can't even think off the top of my head domestically, many goals we've conceded through individual errors. So that, that goal, that goal added to that team anyway, because it was it's probably one of the best, if not the best, we've faced this season. Andrew, we, we can't speak about the game last Thursday night without covering the, the Glen Kamara incident, of course. Um, Glenn Kamara didn't really say anything about it at the time until the statement came out on Friday night. However, Conor Goldson was quite vociferous in his actions when he went looking for Cudela. Uh, and Sky Sport News put out a really good piece with Conor Goldson on the Friday when he done the old film presser. I'd let us know a little bit about that. I know you were, you and your colleagues were involved in that directly. So let us know how, what the feeling was around, around that interview. Yeah, I mean, so I was working at Sky Sports News on Friday uh, on one of the late teams. So from uh, so we were responsible for the output from from five o'clock through to midnight. And it's pro. I mean, I've been working at Sky for nearly six years now, and it was probably the most probably the most challenging day I've had there in terms of how quickly that that story moved. Because I think even by Rangers standards, the number of statements that came out on Friday was very, very high. We had one in the early hours of the morning from Slavia, a second one where they doubled down on what they were saying later on. There was a Rangers statement. Glenn Kamara put his own statement out about 10 o'clock, just before 10. Uh, UEFA said they were investigating, but in turn issued a very short statement as well. PFA Scotland had their say. And it was a story which was constantly moving. Um, And I think Sky Sports News, um, racism and allegations of racism at the moment, uh, we are seeing them more and more and more in in football specifically, but in sport. And Sky Sports News, um, to their credit, and I'm not just saying this because I I work with them, but uh, are really trying to lead the way in combating it, and and particularly with regards to social media companies and and saying to them, look, what are you going to do about this? Um, So Sky handled that story, I think, well and gave it due prominence at the top of the hour. I think we had about seven minutes at the top of every hour talking about it. And like seven minutes on one story is is quite a lot of time. Um, And within all of that was uh, was a very, very uh, strong, powerful interview with with Conor Goldson. Uh, He had spoken to the the media generally um, earlier in the day. And then Sky obviously had a a one-to-one with him as well. Um, For me, uh, I mean, it was full of buzzwords in terms of uh, things that really stood out, good sound bites. Um, he despises Slavia Prague, uh, w- was strong, and, and, and one of the producers that I was working with was saying, I really like that, I really like that. And I was saying to him, well, yeah, but 
I think the admission that the team waited in the tunnel for 45 minutes for Slavia to come in, um, basically for a square go, <laughs> for, 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 yeah. a better, for one of a better yeah, way of putting absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, that's what he wanted. Now, you know, to admit that, you know, at first glance, you, you hear him saying that, and you think, oh, that's really remarkable. The other one as well, just to, to, to touch on it, was, was him, and he'd said this in the, in the news conference to, to the general media, um, that after that incident, he wanted to hurt someone uh, and for, 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 for the final few minutes of the game, that was how he felt. And he's never felt like that before. I, mean, I, I felt that was a really big admission as well because um, I don't think that's something that he'll feel particularly proud of. Uh, but the, the admission that the, the team waited for 45 minutes, and we saw it again, I think, yesterday uh, or maybe Saturday, um, Slavia's head coach had, had spoken out again about it and has given a, for the first time, has given a version of events that sounds sort of similar to what Rangers are saying, where I think he'd said that after 50 minutes after the final whistle, uh, there was a, a, a meeting uh, yeah. with Steve Gerrard requested and with the UEFA uh, observer, I think it was, all the way then proceeds to say Glenn Kamara punched the man in the face and that was it. Which, <laughs> uh, Glenn Kamara, with all due respect to him, I don't think could fight his way a wet paper bag. So uh, I, I would be surprised if Glenn Kamara has assaulted someone in the tunnel afterwards. But the, uh, the, the fact that Goldson spoke um, the way he did about that, I mean... At first glance, it seems as though, you know, it's maybe not a great thing to admit, but if the Rangers' first team are hanging about in the tunnel for 45 minutes after the final whistle, the UEFA match observer knows that that's happening because the, the area around the tunnel and within the bowels of the stadium is not really that big. So UEFA's observer will be aware of it. The match officials will be aware of it. So actually, Goldson admitting that, it doesn't really get Rangers in any trouble as such because people already know that that has happened the people that matter know that that has happened uh, and I think it was a good one to get out in the public domain to be honest because what is alleged to have happened and I don't want to go all Michael Stewart on people here uh, there's been a really strong reaction to the way Michael Stewart portrayed um, or, or vocalized it um, you, you have to say alleged because legally you have to say it's alleged because it is alleged and in all honesty Proving this situation is going to be a very, very difficult thing to do because uh, Kudela has come up, he's covered his mouth like this, nobody's seen it. You might have that the ref, I mean, the referees are mic'd up, so it might be that that's been picked up by one of the, uh, by the referees, Mike. But, you know, it's probably unlikely. So it may well be that this is never proven. What I think needs to be acknowledged is the reactions of people. I think we all know deep down what has happened. You can allege it, you can say allegedly, because you have to say allegedly, but I believe Glenn Kamara, and I think a lot of us believe Glenn Kamara. Glenn yeah. Kamara, I don't know him, I've never met him, but he, uh, from what people have said, uh, James Tavernier was, was saying it as well in his interview with Sky over the weekend, and Connor said the same thing. Connor said, I look upon Glenn Kamara as my little brother. Um, he's a quiet guy, goes about his business very well in the park, quiet but efficient, I think is probably a fair way to, to describe Glenn Kamara. For him to react the way he did, and it was so blatant as well, Kudela sidestepping a guy that's lying on the ground injured, stepping out the way, targeting him. Uh, I mean, we've seen instances, well, we see instances every day of alleged racism, um, but, but we don't actually see the incident. We hear that something has happened or we see a faceless account on social media saying yeah. something racist to someone. But it's very rare that you actually see something so calculated and so cold the way Cadella went about his business. And he went up and he knew what he was doing. He covered his mouth so that you can't lip read. 
and said what he said. And Glenn Kamara's reaction, and Bongani Zungu, who's standing right there as well, he reacts. And then Goldson comes over. And, and Goldson, I don't think... I can't quite tell what Goldson has said, but I don't think he's come over and said what's happened. He knows what's happened. He's literally said, what number was it? And then he's gone. And he got a lot of praise on social media afterwards for that, that's what you want from a captain. And absolutely, I endorse that. What I think is also uh, interesting is, is the two, in the vicinity of the incident and what happened, there were two black Slavia Prague players standing there. Now, you had a number of Slavia players obviously got involved in the, the aftermath, but you had uh, Oli Inka, the, the goal scorer, and I think Sima was the other one, standing yeah. within five yards, say, of, of the incident um, that, that happened. And everybody knows the word racist. It doesn't matter what language you speak, you know what the word racist is. And straight away, Glenn Kamara shouting racist and pointing at him. And you look at, if you watch it back, and you look at Oli Inka and you look at Sima, both of them are just, they look, they almost look devastated yeah. that, that this has happened from one of their teammates or allegedly happened from one of their teammates. That, that one of their teammates, one of their guys who they work with day after day might have said that and might have gone over and done that to, to a black player. Um, I, 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 I was appalled by the, the whole incident and I think that the, the various parties at Rangers spoke exceedingly well on it. Steven Gerrard uh, really showed his class, dealt with it in such a good way. The, the, the clip of him going down the touchline with Glenn Kamara and giving him a cuddle and that, that squeeze of the hand on the shoulder is um, it's a mark of the man that Steven Gerrard is. Uh, you know, Goldson spoke superbly. Uh, I thought Glenn Kamara's statement was, uh, bar a couple of typos in it, was, was a very, very strong and very good statement and said what it needed to say. Uh, you know, and now it's down to the authorities. Now it's down to UEFA. Do they react to this? Do they say that racism is okay by saying we're not going to do anything about that? I mean, as I say, it's a difficult one to prove because he's covered his mouth and unless there's a mic uh, picked up what has been said, it's going to be hard to prove even if we all feel that we know and even if we all believe Glenn Kamara, it's going to be a really, really tough one to prove. But that and also... <sighs> It's obviously soured by what has happened after the, the game with what's alleged to have happened in the tunnel. As I say, I don't think for one minute Glenn Kamara stood there and beaten the guy up. Uh, when the guy, Kudela, uh, when he left Ibrooks and when he left his hotel the next morning, the Crown Plaza uh, next to the River Clyde, didn't look like a guy that had just taken a pasting. No. So I, mm. you know, I, I struggle with that as well. Um, and Slavia have stood by their man, they've doubled down on it, they've made him out to be the victim. You know, Glenn Kamara's a 25-year-old man and his name is getting dragged through the mud for an incident where it looks as though he has been racially abused. And that is absolutely appalling. So UEFA now have to take strong action. They have to say, in no uncertain terms, racism will not be tolerated. They might not be able to go the whole hog and punish Kudela and or Slavia Prague. They might not be able to do it. They certainly shouldn't punish Rangers and Glenn Kamara because his name has been dragged through the mud needlessly. He is the victim in this situation and let's not get away from that and let's not have UEFA saying, oh, no, no, he did wrong. It'd be a very UEFA thing to do, to be honest, to, to, to find Kamara and or Rangers guilty of something or both clubs. You know, like There'll be some kind of charge for Rangers within it, I expect. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope that they show. And to be fair, the incident with the PSG Istanbul game recently where one of the match officials 
uh, was ruled to have used a, a racist term uh, towards one of the, the coaching staff from Istanbul. Uh, and they've been banned for, what is it, four months, I think it is, the, the match officials. Uh, you know, that, that offers a little bit of hope. But they then have to build on that. And if there is another incident like this, they have to treat it seriously and they have to react in the right way. Um, and they have to be shown to, to be a body that is not going to tolerate it. Uh, I mean, UEFA on their website at the moment have a, an hour-long documentary called Outraged, I think it is, where they uh, are, you know, they're, they're, they're running a, a whole thing about discrimination in football. You can't have that on one hand, and then on the other hand, you tolerate it. You just cannot do it. Tommy, should the players have walked off? So it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question. It's probably worthwhile, first of all, saying those two wider things there that one, I don't, nobody on the, the podcast should walk past the irony of four white guys discussing racism. Uh, certainly not lost on me as well. Yeah. And uh, the second one being, if it takes somebody being allegedly, you know, racistly abused, and you only take notice of it primarily because it's in your club's cults, then you're missing something in the bigger picture. If you believe that that's the only time to take action and you don't believe the inherent truth, which is judging somebody on the level of pigment that happens to be in their DNA at birth or subsequently is the wrong way to look at someone, then you're missing something. Simple as that. So it's, I'm not a massive fan when people speak to, oh, it's terrible to see this in football. It's terrible to see it in any walk of life, full stop. And people should be very aware of that. Or, or it shouldn't happen to one of our players. It shouldn't happen to any player. And we have to make sure that when we hold the camera up to other people, that camera's got a mirrored edge to it and we look ourselves in the face as well. And I'm not saying there's a massive racism issue in Scottish football or Rangers or the Rangers support or anything like that. I'm just saying it's one of those bigger issues in life that you absolutely can't say things like our club are doing a really good thing and then not live and breathe that yourself. Okay, so those are probably the two, two macro points. As you get underneath that, I know Stephen Gerrard had tried to call over uh, Glenn, Glenn Kamara, wanted to talk to him for that very reason. Do you want to walk off the pitch? What do you want to do here? I will absolutely unequivocally back you and so will the club. And I think we've seen that that's a genuine you know, statement that would have been backed up from, from everything the club have done uh, and, and been behind Glenn Kamara as well. And I think the difference... From some other points, uh, Andrew's maybe touching on this to an extent as well. Is there's a, I'm not massively in life impressed by people's stylistic approaches, right? You can be great in front of a camera or you can be great speaking or whatever. What I look for is the intent and the genuineness. And I think most people can get really behind Stephen Gerrard, for example, on this particular issue because it was completely genuine. You can tell he genuinely feels for Glenn Kamara and by extension, any other player of a BME, a BME background as well. That's why he was on the, the touchline giving Glenn Kamara a, a cuddle. That's why he stands next to his player. It's absolutely inbuilt into him. And so back to your, back to your main question, which is that's for the players to decide. I suppose the, the, the sub-question is, should Stephen Gerrard have taken it completely out of their hands and got the players to walk off? Yeah. yeah. Now, those two, that's two questions. That's a in the ether question. Personally, I think if it, the circumstances were there, they absolutely should have. I would have loved to have seen Rangers walk off that pitch and say, yes, we understand it's an alleged, alleged offence, 
right? And I say that purely in the italics that and Andrew has mentioned as well. Okay, we all have a very specific personal view of what went on and what was whispered into Glen Kamara's ear. We've all, by and large, played football or other sports and we've seen things in walks of life. You don't march over to another player. You don't cover your mouth. You don't whisper in somebody's ear. You don't get a reaction like that for no reason. And you certainly don't get it from the type of player that Glenn Kamara seems to be. He's not a fiery hothead, right? It's not made up an allegation of racism, in my personal opinion. So you've, you've got all that sitting there. I would have loved to have seen... And remember, Slavia Prague, not to jump strings, Slavia Prague have had form with this as well. I remember, I think, 2019, Romelu Lukaku. Lukaku, yeah. Spoke to their their fans chanting that, and we saw some of their elements of their fans. And by and large, I'm not tarring all Slavia uh, fans with the racist brush either. But you see a lot of sections of them on social media. Social media not always been a great barometer because it's in tendency to self-inflate because you see a picture and it spreads, right? But they've, they've got that. You've seen their... Players calling out, I think some of those players that uh, Andrew references, guys like Seema saying, stop copying that picture of the banner. Saying, yeah. please stop. Yeah. yeah. Lukaku called out their fans as well. I can't recall what UEFA did or didn't do very much in the didn't do bucket, I, I suspect, because they don't follow up with their actions. But again, because you, know, you did ask me a, a question, I would have loved to have seen them walk off. I'd have loved to have seen Rangers take that stand and be at the forefront of what is a scourge on society. Forget the fact that it happens to apply to guys or women that wear football boots. It's a scourging society. If Rangers could have any impact of that from a positive sense, then that is a legacy that I would love my club to be associated with. It didn't happen. What we have done, however, is made it very clear that we stand in a particular element of this debate and we have managed to draw people together. You see clubs like Dundee United, you see other common, so other members of the commentary uh, backgrounds, you know, people like Will Ferdinand and stuff like that, jumping in as well. And I'm not picking up on uh, Michael Stewart as well. I think his point was actually relatively um, sound to an extent in terms of he was talking about processes. His wording was extremely clunky and badly phrased, right? That's what I'll probably pin that on him. John Lincoln, isn't it? Well, exactly, you know, mouth mechanics, so to speak. But, you know, the point, the point holds that there are processes there and you can't just go about saying the reaction is there for fact. Now, I, I, I'm quite clear and sound in my articulation. I absolutely believe Glenn Kamara, 100%. Right? But in the world we live in, which is a world governed by laws, getting evidence is a different thing. And so that's why things like allegedly do exist. Andrew's touched on that as well. These are checks and balances that we might not like the sound of when we are looking for a society that wants quick action and people being quickly hung and drawn and all that type of thing. But you do not beat the scourge of racism by that type of thing. What you need to do is be able to evidence and then stand by that decision-making and take sanctioned action. The problem here is, unless it's captured on a mic somewhere, you are going to have... He said, he says. The unfortunate nature is, well, the only good thing from that is, I think this particular player has been shown up for what he is. I think uh, focus has been put on it. We've been able to draw together some other disparate clubs and we've been at the forefront of shining a light over exactly what we think racism means and its lack of a place in any society or in Rangers Football Club. Sometimes that's the only one you could get. I very much doubt we will see any particular strong action from, from UEFA or FIFA in this matter. I know FIFA don't naturally have a place there, but from UEFA. Don't, don't look for any 
we are kicking teams out of the competition. We absolutely believe it, by and large as well, because they, they don't have the evidence to be able to do that unless something does come out. All we can look to is did our club and our players handle themselves particularly well? And do we understand as a support, this is not a moment in time. You want to be against racism, you're against racism from nine in the morning all the way through the clock. You don't get to uh, just because it was one of ours. Okay, that's the that's the predicated message everybody needs to take away. Now I sound pretty passionate about that, because I absolutely am. Nobody should be judged by the colour of our skin. Delighted to see Rangers and their staff take a stand against that. We all should every single day. Andrew, Tommy, great stuff. Thanks, really appreciate that input. Robbie, we'll bring it back now to to the game that we had at the weekend. Of course, we travelled to to Celtic Park for the third of the of the four league instalments. Um, and we 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 kind of built this up over a, over a period of time, as you as you perhaps expect. Uh, and again, similar to the to the game last Thursday, I didn't think we we started particularly well. We were okay, but I, I again a little bit stuffy, maybe leggy in parts as well. Um, and of course, Celtic took the lead with a, with a goal again coming from in that right hand side. And I don't want to sort of focus on the the negativity of having the centre half at right back, but Balogun as well was was definitely someone who they were aiming for from Sunday, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And it, you touched on Balogun there. The, the reason why I wouldn't pin too much blame on him is because I don't actually think it was as much an individual issue. I think that as I said earlier, it's a wee bit of a common trend for goals who have conceded this year. Uh, and, and the positive from our side is we've obviously been doing something very well because it's took until end of March for teams to sort of properly solidify that as being a potential weakness, if you want to call it that. But I'd say the first sort of five, ten minutes, I thought we looked, we looked okay. We were like handling the ball better than they were, I thought. But I don't think there was any doubt that they seen that as a sort of weak point in our team. And again, I'm not just saying that because it was Leon Balogun, because I think they would have played the exact same way if it was Dave Patterson. So I don't yeah. think they would have foreseen that Balogun was going to be playing right back. But I don't think there's any doubt that that's where they were starting to hurt us. And to be fair, I thought they, they'd done it successfully a good few times in the first half. Because uh, for the actual goal, big fan of Conor Golson. For me, he's been a player of the year this year. Uh, well, so far anyway. But I would actually probably put a wee bit more blame on him as opposed to Balogun. I think when that happens, uh, they, I thought the position in the two of them was okay before the through ball went, uh, came through. But once it goes to where it is, I think it was Edward, wasn't it? Edward's already got a yard on Balogun because Balogun's facing the ball. By the time it goes, he needs to turn then sprint, whereas Balogun, uh, Edward's running on a diagonal. As soon as he does that, for me, Golson's got to follow him. And then Balogun vacates the space that Golson's left. So I actually don't think it was Balogun's fault as much as people maybe have a different opinion. Uh, and then likewise, big fan of Hollander. But for me, I don't think it's probably selling glory for the cross ball either. So... Which again, it's not been like us, uh, apart from the fact that those who continue to be cross balls, defensively we've been excellent this year, but I definitely think that they kind of spotted a, a potential weakness in our armory and, and exploited it relatively well, uh, particularly in the first half, down, down there on the left hand side, down on the right hand side. But as I said, all of that, we were coming into the game having played three days earlier with 30 minutes with 10 men, and half of that was actually with nine men. You could almost argue there felt a wee bit of an emotional hangover as well. I don't think it had the same sort of intensity going into the game. Yeah. And that was already coupled with the fact there was no fans. But we're saying all fair, first 20 minutes, I was saying there's hardly an attack on this game. It's an old firm. 
And I think, I don't know what happened the Thursday kind of took the edge off it a wee bit as well. But even detracting from any of that, with a game on Thursday, we've already got like wrapped up. I think people forget that because we are so far ahead of Celtic, people obviously want us to, to beat them as many times as we can. Listen, it could be the best Rangers side ever against the worst Celtic side ever. See so going to Parkhead and get a draw. 99 times 100, that's a positive result. So the fact that we can play 5, 6 out of 10, still come away with a draw, and not exactly, I wouldn't say McGregor had an unbelievable game. He had to make a few saves, but it was nothing untoward. No. I would still say that considering all the events of the last couple of weeks, where we're at in the season, we've been wrapped up a couple of injuries to key players. Uh, the fact we can still play average, I think would be complimentary. Uh, still play average and come away with uh, come away unscathed and kept an undefeated record intact. I don't think it's such a bad thing. Tommy, there's something written in the stars, is there not, when Alfredo Morelos can score his first goal against Celtic and it's his 55th league goal in such a monumental season? Sometimes the uh, the football scriptwriters uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you knew it was you know it was going to, you know it was going to come. And just strangely enough, actually, just to start that, I um, I agree with Robbie. I thought uh, you're always you're always taught if you're on a football pitch, be affecting the game. Uh, I think it's a great through ball actually, and it's a fantastic cross by Odson Edward. You know, have to call out good play when you see it. Yeah. But Conor Goldson is doing nothing. It's not affecting play in any way, shape, or form. He's trying to go back to a very earlier point. He's trying to second guess Leon Balogun getting done by Odson Edward. And that's why he goes closer. By going closer, he leaves that small gap. And then Hellander gets caught out by being in two minds or one and a quarter minds. Um, in terms of does he go for the ball or does he just try and hold uh, Elianus off? And Elianus, he's actually quite a powerful guy and manages to get in. So I do agree with Robbie, but not walking past the, the quality of the cross, which I thought was really good. I thought Elianus and Edward were very, very good in the from game, actually. No. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought as well the intensity just wasn't wasn't there from anybody. And I thought actually the, not to keep going back to Thursday, but I thought the build-up intensity wasn't there. Yeah. Never felt like going into an old firm game um, for me, uh, any way, shape, or form. But get back to Alfredo Morelos, because as, as I often do, I've wondered the way I've come back. There we are. <laughs> um, I, 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 do try and, I do try and get back to them. I just enjoy yourself, mate. That's what I, <laughs> I, I always I always do. You're this not is, this is, this You're this is why I'm going to do That's what the problem is. You can always talk to half eight to half nine. <laughs> I was not good at football because I, I, I always wanted a free roll. I'm just going to express myself on the podcast. That's what You're one of these guys who don't know his best position, they just roamed a bit. Yeah, yeah, and never affects the game. It's as simple as that. Never does anything telling. Um, but, but yeah, listen, Alfredo Morelos, and it was, you know, you were speaking earlier when we were off camera, I was talking about you know, something I put on social media, the, the kind of other teams, Celtic, da. Uh, to use that colloquial phrase, the Celtic uh, <laughs> uh, patter had been scolded out. It's been taking a beating. And one of those key things was, ah, but Morelos, he can't be worth any more than Edward, uh, sorry, uh, Edward and all that because he's never scored against this Alec. Well, that's, <laughs> that, that trophy's gone. That's been melted down and put somewhere else. Uh, and it, yeah, 55 league goals and the 55 title scenario at Parkhead as well. Um, yeah, to... The only thing that was missing was it being a winner or it being the one that you know gets the, the, the league trophy, which would have been even more perfect. But 
monkey's off his back now in terms of everybody was harping on about that, you know, that not being the case. He hadn't scored. Now the narrative shifts to some of the lazier pundits, which is, yeah, but he's only got one goal in X amount of games. Yeah, you know, very good. That's that's a real level of, of insight that you've put onto that there. But then ultimately, Alfredo Morelos was never going to be judged by that outside of very, very small pools of people's thinking, right? And by that, I mean people with shallow thought processes. Um, that's why it's such a small pool. It doesn't really matter. He's all about winning games and winning trophies. He just happens to have bagged a goal against them. Probably more interested in that league title winner's medal that he's going to get at the end of the season and being able to polish that. God knows how many balloons his wife is going to attach to him. <laughs> <laughs> that's to, that's to be said, right? We have to come with a lead weight as well just to keep it in mind. But uh, it's, listen, it was great to see. And it was, you know, strangely enough as well, it may have been different if there were fans in the, in the stadium, right? But his celebration was actually relatively muted. I scored another goal. Scored another goal against another team. Doesn't really matter to me. What was funny was the response of the Celtic captain, who quite clearly didn't know who had scored at the back post. <laughs> but decided to come at that from his, uh, from his interview. The thing with Morelos is that Celtic fans, and I get this is just the way that it works. Oh, he's not scored against us. I mean, Morelos was the top scorer on the Europa League group stage last season. Uh, he had what thirty goals by Christmas, uh, and then obviously fell away quite dramatically second half of the season. Um, I think when you look at the Rangers player of the year, so I think probably people would agree, if you were to pick a top four, say, for contenders for, for player of the year, you would probably have, certainly have Alan McGregor, been terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie, you mentioned Goldson earlier on. I would, I would put him in there. Um, Stephen Davis and probably James Tavernier. That's probably your, your four. Uh, now, it says a lot about... The fact the season that the Rangers have had, uh, when you consider some of the guys who maybe have a half chance of being in that that four, you know, I mean, you look at uh, Hadji has kind of made contribution here and there. He's done done pretty well. Ryan Jack, admittedly injury problems, but has uh, has impacted in games as, as Tommy's saying uh, really well when he when he has been fit. Uh, you know, you have Bonabarisic has been terrific, and I think Morelos. Out of the also runs, I think Morelos is the one who is probably pushing to be in that top four to, to break into. I don't know who he replaces, but Tav, for instance, we've not seen an awful lot of him since the turn of the year. Now, what we have seen since the turn of the year is that Alfredo Morelos has probably been the best player in Scotland for the best part of three months now. Yeah. If you go right back to the last Old Firm game, which in itself is not a great game, and, and what you were talking about there, Robbie, about... Um, Sunday, yesterday, not being particularly good. I mean, the old firm game needs the supporters there and it needs that edge and it, and it doesn't have it. And we've seen it in all three games this season. But uh, Morelos in that game draws the foul from, from near Beton to get him sent off. And since then, he's gone up to Petaudry, won a penalty, which Tavernier missed. Morelos has then scored twice. Morelos should have been sent off at Easter Road, wasn't. Stayed in the park, though, scores the winner there. Scores the winner at Livingston three minutes in the end. He's involved in eight of the nine goals against Antwerp and only isn't involved in the ninth goal because he's been subbed. He scores against St Mirren on the day that the league is effectively won. And then he goes in and gets the goal at the weekend there, which keeps the unbeaten run alive. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about that shortly as well. But he has made several big contributions to the team in the last nearly three months now. So I think there is an argument. Morelos hasn't scored 30 goals this season, but he's a completely different player. I watched back uh, the second half earlier on and there's one sequence of play where it's Morelos that's starting off the move, but he's about 30 yards from the Rangers' goal. And he plays it, uh, plays it outright, 
couple of nice passes along the touchline, and then there he is picking it up again in the halfway line and shifting the ball forward. And we've obviously yeah, seen that from Morelos a lot, where he, he drops deep, he drops out to the left, to the right. Uh, he works tirelessly. Um, he might not have scored all the goals this season the way he did last year, but he hasn't needed to because his teammates have, have obviously weighed in as well. And, and, and you have, I mean, if it's like 20 different scorers or something in the league, I think it is for Rangers or, or close to 20 different scorers. Rangers, the complaint before about Morelos was that Rangers were relying on him too much. Now, they're not relying on him too much. And that seems to be a complaint. That's not a complaint. Morelos might not have been scoring lots of goals, but he's been doing so much other stuff. His link-up play, his hold-up play is terrific. Really, really good. And I think there's an argument. Uh, I don't think he's player of the year. I don't. But I certainly think he's... I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I, I, I certainly think he's. I think he's higher up the standings than people would would give him credit for. Uh, he looks. He looks like a totally different player at the moment. He, he plays with confidence. He plays with assurance. Uh, dare I say it? He never looked at any point like he might get sent off yesterday. Which you know, let's be honest, in old firm games is is kind of what you get with Alfredo. Uh, nobody's nobody's been more affected by the lack of fans than Alfredo Morelos. <laughs> but uh, he was I, I, again. He was really really good. Uh, uh, in spells yesterday and you know I mean his, his goalie almost puts it past the post it goes in off the post I think instead uh, it was a brave header so like, I'm not taking away from him he's done very well to score the goal uh, and great for him to get I've got to say he probably there's a bit of a shift of mentality from Morelos I think we've seen it in previous old firm games where he's been trying too hard and he's been trying and trying and trying and getting really frustrated whereas yesterday he looked a lot more assured he looked a lot more like he knew he was going to get his goal uh, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Maybe he, he didn't uh, feel quite as strongly as that. But but the way he puts himself about in the park, and uh, I, I thought some of the touches from him in a fairly average Rangers performance, which at times, to be honest, I think had its moments. Uh, I, I did feel they moved the ball about pretty well and, and quite effectively and a lot of good one-touch stuff. But central to, to that, in the good moments, there was Alfredo Morelos. Uh, and I think he was terrific um, yesterday in taking the goal and also um, the way he brought his teammates into the play. I thought Thursday was really good as well. Uh, yeah. And I, I think when, when it comes to discussing like, play of the year stuff like that, I, I know you've counted about a play of the year, which I'm glad to hear. <laughs> he's a wee bit away from that for me yet. But I, I, I think when they discussions arise, we can say by in real. I think, but if we're talking about for 2021, he's been our best player in 2021. I think he's been excellent. Uh, and even... In games where, as you say, that he's probably not been spoken about as much Thursday night, for example, I thought he was very good Thursday. Uh, and I think well, we, we probably weren't great because previously I've been critical of him for his link up play. I, I always thought before people would credit him for his link up play because he was good at being a lone striker. But for me, what he done as a lone striker and being a good link up player were two different things. I thought he was brilliant at getting the ball when there was no one around him and being able to make chances himself almost. However, I did think he struggled a wee bit with the new sort of role we were trying to adapt him into by this like sort of dropping deep to allow for our runners and holding it in tighter areas and stuff. However, since the turn of the year, his goals have been up and his all-round play, I think, has went to another level. And the way he's been playing in Europe and domestically, with 100% warrant interest from down south or European uh, leagues or whatever, 100% really he's been playing recently. I thought, even in an average team uh, with Thursday and Sunday, I thought he, he stood out for us. Just on that, I think, just to, to 
put a little bit of a capstone on it as well. So he's, he's not my player of the year either. I think that definitely needs to probably come from somebody in that back back five, including Alan McGregor in that as well. Uh, and when Andrew was starting, the other one that was in my mind, just outside the, the top four, so to speak, was definitely Borna Barisic. Maybe doesn't get the, the credit he deserves at the back because his defensive game has gotten significantly better. His positioning has gotten better as well. He's still delivering, I think, one of the best deliveries in Europe, particularly from a running ball. Not just a not, not just a stationary one. His ability to do it on the run is phenomenal, consistently phenomenal. So it's slightly overlooked there. But just going back to to Morelos and the development, you've seen both mentality in terms of never looking like getting sent off and channeling it in the right ways. We spoke about Leo and the interest there, and to to Robbie's wider point as well. If Alfredo Morelos is going to get a move to a an italics bigger club, by that I mean richer club in a richer league. It's going to be not so much on the goals, I think. Because right? I still don't think Alfred Morelos is a top-tier finisher. Right? I think he's he's hit and miss sometimes around about that, right? Uh, and dare I say it, sometimes he looks like he panics a bit and just thrashes at it. Right? But his ability to have taken on board the messages from the management team at Rangers and develop the other link-up play side of his game and his ability to pull defenders out of positions and make them second-guess themselves and disrupt the back four, back five and drop deep and link that up is significantly improved. And if you're looking for a striker who can get you a fair amount of goals, has been shown that he can do it in Europe, and more importantly, start to make defenders really question their positioning and pull them apart and loves the physical side. That's why you get looked at by, I think, bigger clubs than Lille. And it's very much on that side of the ledger as opposed to just the pure goal scoring. Tommy, who's your yeah. player of the year so far? <laughs> I've read them uh, So... Uh, <laughs> I talked myself into it there, obviously. <laughs> uh, for, for me, I, I think it probably does for for the the, um, the consistency. And I'm thinking maybe all through the season, I can point to maybe three games, by and large, where he's been pretty ropey. I, I really can't see by Connor Goldson. I think the ability to be consistently on the pitch has a physical element to it, so tick. has a mental element to it, tick. Being the de facto leader, when your, your, your captain's not there, has an ability to it. I think one of the things that we've all enjoyed, by all I mean everybody within the podcast as well, no matter whose team they support, is with the lack of fans, you get to hear the players, get to hear the management team, you get to hear just how much Connor Goldson talks the team through a game, particularly the, the, the defensive unit. Doing that in itself is a job and keeping that calmness and then putting in just really good performances. And then on top of that, being a defender and popping up with big goals, two goals at Parkhead to win the old firm game, putting down a really big marker. These are milestone moments. And to use, you know, Stephen Gerrard's language, because it's infinitely better than mine when it comes to, you know, uh, backing out a, a player of the year. If you're looking for, if you want to win things, you're looking for big players and big moment, uh, big games delivering big moments. I'm struggling to find a bigger, consistent player all the way through that, <laughs> inside a team that has set um, records for its clean sheet, keeping both at, uh, at home and you know, conceptually abroad as well. So, yeah, that's why he's my he's my stick on. Lots of players challenging. Uh, James Tavernier are feeling very, very sore sitting on the sidelines of that decision, I imagine. But the consistency is is just phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, there we go. That's my, that's my take. Andrew, same question to you, player of the year so far? Um, I 
turned 39 last week. No uh, danger. <laughs> That's some fun to be doing, Andrew, by the way. I, uh, <laughs> oh, I, over <laughs> <laughs> I turned 39 last week and Alan McGregor is six weeks older than me. And the idea of me throwing myself about a penalty <laughs> frightens the life out of me. Um, I, I don't think I, I'd absolutely agree with with everything you're saying, Tommy, about uh, Goldson. I think he's been outstanding, and I think uh, I think there's an awful lot of goodwill towards him at the moment for the way he handled things on Thursday yeah. night and Friday. I mean, I think he really showed it. Like you talked about leadership there, and that was that was prime leadership for me. The, the way Goldson conducted himself, and he ha- he's been terrific. You know, I mean. You, you think back to that Hamilton game last March and, and he was a bit of a shambles that night and, and just, you know, wasn't quite at it. And you, you, you're talking about the, the kind of number of games that he's played this season where he's, he's not been that great. And it, it really is very small, like two or three matches. You know, I mean, we were talking earlier on about um, about conceding goals from individual errors. And I think still, actually, Rangers haven't conceded a goal in the se- uh, this season in the league because of an individual error. Uh, I could be wrong with that, but I mean, that statistic was, was getting banded about fairly recently. Um, you know, so Goldson's been great. The defence in general has been very good. I mean, Goldson has been particularly good because he's not always had the same guy next to him. You know, it's been Hillander and sometimes it's been Balogun. And, you know, despite that disruption, he has still been very, very consistent. But I don't think you can play down the importance of Alan McGregor because, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, there's five games left left of this season, and we're, we're going to talk about it. I think that the matches work out quite well for Rangers to give themselves the best chance of of staying unbeaten this season. But Alan McGregor will be very keen. And amongst all that, Rangers are one behind Celtic at the moment. For the record they had in 2012 of, of 25 clean sheets, and I certainly think there's a very realistic chance of that. Uh, of course, the defence will want it as well. But Alan is is a real winner. He's uh, he's one of the, the few people in the squad that I do know quite well from, from my time working at the club previously when he was there previously and uh, you know this perception of Alan McGregor being uh, somebody who dives to the left and dives to the right and then does everything else in the same <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that was a criteria that was Alan McGregor of, uh, of many years ago um, he's settled down a little bit don't let that reputation fool you into thinking yeah. that the guy's a bit of a clown because he is not he is an absolute absolute winner and we've seen it in a couple of the interviews with him this season where he's uh, he's not been a happy man right. just haven't yeah. got a result I mean he's, he's a, an absolute winner and you know I mean we saw yesterday in the old firm game two or three decent saves from El Yunusi and from Edward uh, and you know, his showreel of saves this season is pretty spectacular uh, you know I mean the the one against Slavia to be honest I thought his one against Werder Bremen away back was was still better but there's no doubt that that save against Slavia <laughs> Tommy's yeah. raging. I'm up to that point, Andrew. That's it. Tommy's <laughs> going to quote a save that Andy Gordon made that was better. But oh, every right, save well, that Andy Gordon made. Yeah, listen, I mean, that's a, that's a different debate as well. Uh, <laughs> I, I I mean, I, I was at the Bremen game, uh, what was that, 2008, and, and I think still even now, what, 13 years on, I'm struggling to <laughs> figure out how he did it. I thought it was a, a phenomenal save. You thought anyway, it was good uh, Bremen? <laughs> <laughs> You're bogged down in that. I mean, the, the point is that McGregor has... Uh, McGregor's been worth a lot of those points uh, for, for Rangers this season. And we were talking just then about Morelos and the contribution that Morelos has made. Uh, I think if you go back through the season and you pick out all the big saves that Alan McGregor has made, Rangers wouldn't be sitting at the moment with the lead that they've got. You know, they, 
probably yeah. still be uh, top of the league. They wouldn't be champions yet. It would be a much tighter affair than it is. Um, and, you know, McGregor has, uh, has been... I, put it this way, I think McGregor has made more big saves than any of the defenders in front of him have made goal-stopping tackles, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and, and for that, for me, McGregor just edges it. Robbie, last but by no means least. No, no, you'll be last because I'll be asking you. <laughs> for me, for me, it's you're probably between Golson, Tavernier, uh, McGregor. I think Davis comes into conversation and you could even argue, well, maybe not for you, but Kamara's probably fifth for me. Yeah. Uh, but it's Golson for me. Uh, I just think that played every, played every game, played every minute is incredible. Uh, came up with big moments, but it's extremely consistent. Uh, Aye, so for me, it's him. I think, I think if you were to break the season into quarters, you could maybe say, Kent, the first quarter, you thought he, he, he's going to win for the year. And then it went on to Tavernan, you thought he's going to win for the year. And then maybe goals in the third, and you could see McGregor recently. But over the, if you were to split up into quarters, over the full time, Golson's probably been the top three every time. Uh, and I actually think, see if you to look at, I've been thinking about what, what's been different whereas this year compared to last year. Obviously, defensive record has been big, but in terms of what we do going forward, see that I, I think it, it's it's going to underappreciate to see that sort of diagonal for Golson over to Ryan Kent. See the amount of times that we've been struggling in games, but well, we were struggling in games last year because everything we done was sort of in front of the other team. So we'd maybe move it side to side well and we'd single through the middle, whatever else. We'd have loads of possession, but we couldn't finish it. See that out ball we've got now, I think that's made a huge difference to our team because it's just the only time we pick a goal from it, but if not, teams have naturally dropped deeper. Other, it's encouraging forward players to go beyond more because that's probably a criticism that we had that guys at Ryan Kent weren't getting goals because they weren't running beyond more. See him having that sort of weapon his armory now, I think that's been a big, big difference in our season. It's something very simple, but I think it's it's been a sort of domino effect to other results and other phases of play. So I think just taking everything into account, for me, he, he's my player of the year so far. Scott, last but not least, who's up for the year? <laughs> so I, I have to say, for me, it's Stephen Davis. And I think that um, he has been Mr. Consistency since August last year. I, I think it's easy to forget amongst everything else that's happened. He's just signed on for another season, of course. But um, he also beat that Northern Ireland record as well um, for Pat Jennings. And he, he went for a spell. I, I can't remember when it was. It was certainly pre-Christmas last year. Where, where he played a, a phenomenal lot of games in, in a really short time. And in each game, he was he was an eight. I mean, he was an eight out of ten in, in every one of these games. And it was going from sort of playing here, uh, then then going away to play for his country twice, then coming back. And it was just, it was like he, he couldn't have been having any break at all. And then you've, you're squeezing in Europa League games as well there too. So um, for me, Stephen Davis, at the moment... Um, is, is certainly my player of the year without any question. Thomas, you're stroking your chin there. I don't think you agree. I, I do that just to make sure this is still stuck on. Uh, <laughs> no, but listen, what I was actually going to say is, and I don't I don't agree, right, Stephen Davis, and I don't agree with Alan McGregor, right? I've already told you why I think. What what, I'm, what I would say, though, is I could easily understand. I, I do Aye. completely understand Alan McGregor. I spoke you know, a couple of weeks back about keepers, the difference between a goalkeeper who makes saves and a goalkeeper who breeds confidence throughout the entire team. Andrew's talking very much about a goalkeeper who does the latter, who big saves and big moments and breeds 
you know, confidence throughout the team and as a winner in the dressing room. You're talking about Stephen Davis, who even at the end of his career is dictating games at home and abroad, setting European records for, for caps. I, Tavernier was mentioned in there as well. The point I was actually going to make is I, I could easily be persuaded on any of them, right? Although it definitely is goals in the player of the year, right? But <laughs> I could easily be persuaded on any, any of them, right? But how good it is to be having that conversation that is yeah. such a lively, healthy one where if we were forced into agreeing Tav or McGregor or Davis, nobody would be truly unhappy. I certainly wouldn't be if it was a vote or whatever, and I lost out that it wasn't Goldson. Because I remember a time not too far back in the past where the the um, the takeaway award of being Rangers Player of the Year was so devalued as to mean absolutely nothing. Yeah. That you were talking about players who didn't even deserve to be in the squad or in the jersey, never mind getting player of the year. Now we're saying, my God, how do you shorten this list? It's got so many players in it that are doing so many different jobs. That's why you win a title. So, yeah, there we go. That's I'm not going to sit on the fence. I mean, I said Goldstone, but you could easily give it to a hell of a lot of players. I don't think anybody would complain that much. Was there not one year that Harris Vukic won it from half a season? I, yes. Nice. Absolutely, and that maybe that's a very good example of that devalued point yeah. that I was, uh, I was talking. No offence to Harris Vukic, she was decent no, when they played for me. that joke, but I've never seen a more predictable cut up in my life. He's cutting in his left foot, he's starting to bend into the far corner. That's all he's doing. Don't don't ask me anything else. That's all he's doing. <laughs> but yeah, but how 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 pleasurable was it that we cycled out of that? Mm. And now we're talking about you know not just with the blue tinted specs on you're looking at these players as individual athletes and what they deliver to a really good squad a championship winning squad yeah and you're saying well it could be the goalkeeper because he's big moments he's turned up and as andrew said there's a real you know basis that you don't get these clean sheets without your keeper being switched on all the time and the big difference between a good goalkeeper and a smaller club and a switched on goalkeeper at the top level with rangers you look at across the whole back four they're all doing a grand job you look in the midfield, you've got a person like Kamara or um, Kamara wouldn't quite be in that group for me to be honest with you, but Kamara or Davis, you're looking up top. Wow, that, that's a pleasurable moment for me because we're a really, really solid squad with really talented individuals who have all pulled together. I don't think there's any doubt that um, this has been the season where we, we have indeed put ourselves back in the map. We could, of course, go this season um, unbeaten. The, the league have announced the, the last five league games of, of the season um, from the 11th of April onwards. We've got three home ties. Hibs at home on the 11th. Uh, the following week, we travel to St. Johnston. Maybank weekend, we welcome Celtic Tybrox for the final firm game of the season. That promises to be a good laugh. Um, away to Livingston the Wednesday midweek and then uh, last game of the season trophy day it's going to be very nice to to welcome Aberdeen Tybrox to watch us do that I'm sure we all agree um, Andrew could we go the season unbeaten? Yeah I think so I, I think Rangers we touched on it earlier I think that they looked a little bit leggy uh, against Slavia and against uh, against Celtic at the weekend there uh, I mean it's been a big big couple of weeks you know since the, the title was confirmed uh, we've seen fans across the country redecorating the towns that they live in uh, and, and doing a, a mighty fine job of it. And we've seen fans on the other side getting their ladders out and taking the decorations down again. So, uh, But, you know, the, the, there has been a lot of emotion. Those scenes uh, at, at Ibrooks after the, the St Mirren game and, yeah, admittedly, uh, social distancing wasn't observed and, and all the rest of it. But can you blame Rangers fans for reacting the way they did and, and lapping it up? You know, I mean, it's... The club has been through the ringer. I mean, like speaking personally, when I joined the club 
Um, it was towards the end of 2007. My second week at the club, we played Barcelona at the new Camp. And then to go from that to the start of the journey and administration, and I was at the club for about two and a half years after administration before, uh, to be honest, getting a bit fed up with the firefighting. Uh, I lost my dad and a combination of those two things meant I, I felt I needed a new challenge. But those two and a half years from administration to when I left the club, I think by the time I left, I took voluntary redundancy. And I think it was the fifth round of redundancies in two and a half years. Uh, it had become a difficult place to work in. And, and I say that as a Rangers fan, uh, you know, like on the face of it, oh, it's great to work for the club. Of course it is. Uh, it's a whole lot better to work for the club when it's going well. When it's going badly, it's a tough, tough place to be because uh, everything that is done is scrutinised. And if it's not done well, you hear about it. And uh, and, and it's great for the for the club at the moment that, that things are going well and, and, and the title has been won again. Uh, 55 titles, what, a, what an achievement that is for the club. I mean, I, I felt when in 2012, I felt it could be 10 years. Uh, a lot of my friends were of the opinion, yeah, let's go to the third division, it'll be fine. And, you know, when I started out in journalism, I was covering second and third division games as it was back then. And, the, you know, of course Rangers should be going through those leagues without any problem, but they're tough, tough leagues because there's an opportunity to kick Rangers players and to, to make your mark and to make a name for yourself. You're never going to do it again in your career if you're playing in that league, potentially. Yeah. So, you know, you, you do it and, and some players took their chance. You know, I mean, I remember being at Stirling Albion in October 2012 uh, and losing 1-0 to a team whose manager wasn't even there because he was away getting married. You know, was, yeah, I mean, some, some terrible moments, losing 2-1 at home and an athletic who a few years earlier had been in the South of Scotland League. It, it was yeah. abysmal. So, you know, you, you go from that to where you are now. And I spoke earlier on about the, the progress that Rangers have made season on season. And the statistics show that there has been progress. And, and Gerard is evolving ever so well as a manager. He, he's conducting himself in the right way. He still makes some mistakes, you know. Uh, but by and large, he's improving all the time. And he's built a squad which is improving. And having this two players for, for each position thing has, has really, really worked for him uh, this season. Uh, there are a number of factors that have contributed. But to get to the point now where the title is won, I think the fact that you have the international break just now, I mean, obviously, players for you, know, there's going to be 15 plus players from, from Rangers going to, to various uh, to national teams. So it's not like they've just got two weeks off, but there is the opportunity at least to mentally refresh and take yourself away from the Rangers situation and then come back in, you know, and well, I don't know how many rounds it would be in the Scottish Cup, was about four games, maybe four, like five I think games. four, I. Yeah, and then five games uh, towards the end of the season. Uh, I mean, the Scottish Cup take is a, a separate thing. Yeah, great chance to, to go all the way there. And Rangers have had the momentum this season, so why shouldn't they? But we said that about the League Cup as well, and obviously things uh, fell apart there. And that's one of the times that, that Stephen has probably just got it a little bit wrong. He rotated just a little bit too much at St Mirren and paid the price for it. So the Scottish Cup, given that the league has won, the Scottish Cup is a team, a tournament that you should be putting your strongest team out in, including against Cove Rangers, because even though they're in the third tier and, and even though they've just had two months off, you know, that's a game that you need to take seriously. By all means, give one or two people opportunities, but that needs to be a strong team and you need to build momentum uh, again because when you have the emotion and you have the euphoria of winning a league and you have the players celebrating for two days solid, uh, you know, it's great and they deserve the moment, but there is still, what, eight, nine, ten weeks of a season to play at that point. Uh, and I think this international break will probably be quite useful with regards to giving them a platform to then come back in, roll the sleeves up again and go. And the fixtures, the way they've panned out, I don't think they could really be any better set up 
for Rangers to, to go unbeaten. You know what I mean? Going to Livingston on that pitch is tricky. But if you remove that and you have Livingston at home, it means you go to Aberdeen or Hibs instead. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, the, the chance to take those teams at Ibrooks and to, to go to St. Johnson, who have had a terrific season under Callum Davidson, what a first season as a manager he's had. Uh, he's, he's the one for me who will provide any kind of competition to, to Gerard for manager of the year. Uh, I think Callum Davidson's done exceptionally well at St. Johnson. But, you know, to be going there and to be going to Livingston, that's about as kind, I think, as the, the fixtures could have been to Rangers. And, you know, if you go through the whole season unbeaten, you're the fourth team in Scottish history to do it. Celtic have done it twice. This would be Rangers' second time as well. Um, you know, they're not going to make the points record, I don't think, that, that, that Celtic had. Uh, but, you know, that's fine. Uh, you ha- I think Rangers fans will accept that for the season they've had. It's been an outstanding campaign, uh, a terrific team to watch. And, you know, the number of goals that have been scored, but the number of good goals that have been scored as well, it'll be a terrific team to watch. Uh, some great team goals, some great individual efforts. And can they keep it going? Of course they can. They can certainly go unbeaten in the league. And, uh, you know, if you win the Scottish Cup as well and you throw in the last 16 uh, the Europa League, that's a, that's a pretty solid campaign and a really, really good one for Gerard. And he needed it as well. You know, he had to win something this season. It would have been a, a, hell, of a, um, a hell of a dilemma where you can clearly see that Rangers as a team are evolving and improving and getting better again than they were last season. But to finish without a trophy at the end of this season, when you are still seeing clear progress... You know, that would have been a really horrible situation to have to yeah. deal with. Like, what do you do with Steven Gerrard now, where, as it is, his team has delivered really emphatically the, the, the title. And as much as that has done something for the club, it does something for Gerrard as well. And it allows him to kick on in the next stage. Uh, he is absolutely developing as a manager. And that development is only really backed up by results and by trophies. And he's got one now. Uh, and he knows what it takes to win it. So uh, it's very much an opportunity to build in the longer term. In the short term, absolutely, they can go unbeaten. Tommy, do you reckon we'll do it between now and, and the middle of May? I, I think we, I think we probably will actually. Although, um, and I'm hell of a fond of the of, of the self-made pun of you know we went from progress to progress, right? Um, <laughs> which is always, always a good thing. But I, I find it terribly, terribly hard to get exercised about it uh, in any shape or form. So if somebody was to come to me and say, and I get the point, you know, it's not been done too many times. I think Andrew's mentioned there, Celtic have done it twice, we've done it once. You know, it's, it's a rare event. Um, and I don't have a, I'm not having a go at anybody who, who thinks it's a really important thing. But if somebody said to me, listen, you would you would lose every game in, in the league from here on in, but you won the Scottish Cup. G- give me the Scottish Cup, because I like trophies. Yeah, I like trophies because that's what you put on the wall and I like seeing my players and my team win, win trophies. They don't. As far as I'm aware, I'm happy to be told different, but I don't think they hand out a trophy for going, you know, undefeated in the league season, other than the one we've already bagged, which is their championship trophy. You know, you don't include it in your 55 titles plus one, you know, or two undefeated as it would be. That's not to say that I'm not interested. Of course, I'm right, and I look forward to, um, I look forward to that last day of the season. If we can get to the last day, um, I might change my position if we get to that last game. I know you're going to want to undefeated. <laughs> But and we've got good really good history there because you know I'm looking forward to Hately or Gascoigne popping up with a goal if it's uh, Ibrox Rangers versus Aberdeen. <laughs> but yeah, I, I find it terribly I'm not going to do a slab and billet and say I don't I don't care or anything like that, but I uh, I find it terribly hard to get exercised about it 
unless it happens. Obviously, being a Rangers fan, if I was going to lose it, uh, I would want to lose it against a St Johnston or a Livingston, nobody else on that list. But yeah, I'll, I'll default to Steven Gerrard again. Take it one game at a time and we'll see where we end up at the end of the season. Robbie, you're still playing um, to a standard. If you are a player and you've went this far in the season and you've not won and you know that you could go another five in the league, are, are you are you thinking it's something that's right at the front of your mindset every time you go out? Or is it just that similar approach to what Tommy's just alluded to, just win the next game, win the next game? I, th- I think prior to the to the title being confirmed, probably not. But seeing that now that we've won the league and we're only five games away, I don't have any doubt that we'll, we'll be setting our eye on it. But I agree, though, that if it doesn't happen, I don't think it takes away the achievement. But, you know, to have been part of that squad who's done that, I'd be very surprised if they weren't thinking about it. Because I think, if you think back to the Arsenal team that done it, they just started drawing games until the end of the season. So <laughs> it was definitely in their mind. Uh, so I, I definitely think that it'll be in the back of some people's minds, and, which is a good thing. It means it's keeping them on their toes. And, uh, especially when we're when a Scottish Cup. We spoke last week about the fact that you know, winning's a, a very good habit in football. So if this is uh, an added motivation, then and that can only be a good thing, I think. Andrew Dixon, I have to say, thanks very much for joining us this week. Really enjoyed having you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Robbie, we'll do it all again next week. Uh, look after yourself this week. Enjoy the Scotland game when it comes on on Thursday. I'm sure you'll be watching it. Uh, Tommy, I don't need to say that to you because I know you probably won't. Not that I have anything against Scotland or anything like that, but as far as I'm aware, Ryan Jack has dropped out. Yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> he has. Think, He's pulled out tonight. Absolutely. I don't right. think John McLaughlin will start. Therefore, I don't have much uh, much interest is that much yes <laughs> so we should say this has been this cybrox you can get all of our content across at thiscybrox.co.uk absolutely all free of charge we are continuing to roll out our women's pod we had a really exciting interview last week with Kirsty Howitt of the women's team as they gear up to the, to the restart of the, their season on the 4th of April with a trip into Edinburgh to play Hearts uh, and very looking much looking forward to it as well they are chomping at the bit, getting ready to go. We will do it all again next week. Good luck to Scotland, I think, this weekend. We will do it all again when we speak about the whole thing this game. Come week, look after yourself, stay safe, be good. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.